Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease, and it's become an elephant in the bedroom. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is reporter and contributor Nikki Reitmeyer. And elephant in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about your sleeping on the podcast and your troubles with it, but what's happening now? Well, you know, sleep isn't the only thing you do in the bedroom. Oh. No, no, not that. Uh, lately, <laughs> I've begun to act out my dreams. Really? What do you mean by acting out your dreams? Well, people with Parkinson's, many people with Parkinson's, have very realistic dreams that can oftentimes be violent, and then they start to act them out. So you're making punches, and you're kicking in your sleep, and Mm -hmm. you're talking in your sleep, and it's very disruptive to the person next to you, and it could cause harm. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. If your sucker punch (laughs) hits them in the jaw. (laughs) Right, while they're in the middle of their dream. Very disastrous results, Nikki. So what can you do about that? Well, the first thing we did was to talk to friends about it. Uh, Rebecca sat down with Dina Grinnell, who's wife of Jim Smurden. He's 45. He's had Parkinson's since 2007. He's been on the podcast before. Dina reminded Rebecca of some of the advice she gave other care partners while they were in Japan. I said, get a good bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. But yes, that's a great, that's great advice and something we hadn't thought about at all. <laughs> So why don't you tell me more about that? Sure. The bed for me was an, is an interesting one. I mean, for one, I covet sleep, and I know that sleep for Jim is a real big part of wellness. But it was also one of the first signs that I knew something was really up, is that he couldn't really turn over in bed. His tremor was so troubling at night in mm-hmm. terms of rolling over um, that it was this constant thing that was keeping me awake and keeping him awake. And so when it came time to get a new bed, we talked about it and we we made a huge decision to invest in a bed that would have the minimal motion transfer. Mm. And it was just a way to respect the fact that something was changing. We didn't know what it was at the time, but we needed to deal with it. And so since then, yeah, we've always um, really invested in that. And for me, it's about wellness for both my husband and the partner Mm -hmm. and uh, just recognizing that you've got to make some investments in wellness in order to take care of yourself. Well, sleep is such a big part of quality of life. Yeah. And his sleep was always challenged and particularly in those early days, both with anxiety as Mm -hmm. well as dealing with the symptoms themselves. And um, when you're not getting a fair night's sleep, how are you going to deal with the pressures of the day and healing and taking good care of yourself? So you're right. It's just such an important factor. It's, you know, a third of your life. And uh, it was a big thing for us. 
Well, Larry's starting to act out his dreams a little bit, just just a little, and I think he notices it more than I do because it wakes him up, mm-hmm. and I don't always wake up. If he does it early in the night, or maybe if I'm starting to come awake, because we're both we both wake pretty naturally early. Mm-hmm. If I'm starting to come awake five five thirty six o'clock, he's probably still in REM sleep. Right, and so he's in dreams, and so he's talking, and he's a little bit more active. He said the other night he punched the ceiling. Now we live um, where where we sleep is an attic, essentially yeah. re- re- renovated, and so it's we have a relatively low ceiling above us. He said he punched the ceiling, and his hand hurt the next day. But I didn't hear mm. or feel any of it. Does Jim have any of that going on? The doctors asked us about that every year for years, and it's just starting to happen now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, so, after 15 years. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can remember, you know, up, up until last year, there was maybe two times that that happened where he would be thrashing limbs mm-hmm. in the middle of the night or mm-hmm. shouting, like yelling out. It doesn't usually last for long, and mm-hmm. the remarkable part is it comes with all of the energy that he's got in his body, but all mm-hmm. I have to do is touch his shoulder, and he knows, and he wakes up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which yeah. Is, which is good. But the, you know what? That's something that they do talk about, and um, it's something to be really mindful of is you have to protect yourself mm-hmm. because thrashing limbs can be dangerous. Yeah. Well, and, and Larry's larger than me. By, by a good hundred pounds, so he's more concerned about it than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I understand that, and that's maybe one of the reasons why he's more restless. In addition to all the symptomatic things. Mm. So, do you think that getting something like a, a new bed would help? I, I do. Uh, and after talking about it, you know, Rebecca and I made a big decision, and we went bed shopping. We're thinking more about our bed space and our private space, and how we're kind of protecting our relationship and and our sense of privacy and intimacy in the bed is part of that. It's a kind of a great symbol of that. So we're going to get our bed in order. So we're thinking separate beds together. Yes. So the, how you can put like two mattresses together, like adjustable beds are that way where you can put the two mattresses together yeah. and they're either on the same box spring or you just put, a, put them both it's the same size as like a queen or a king size bed, but then you're putting two of them right next to you. Just, we would still share a space, but we would have, ideally, we would have space that's separate enough that we're not waking each other up, that we can kind of have our own sleep experiences, ideally to us, while still sharing our bed space. All right, so off we go. Off we go. We'll see how Henry handles this. Okay. Hello. A bed. Oh, well, we were looking at a bed. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like a coil one? Do you like a full one? Well, so we're, we're going to get uh, uh, single beds yeah, yeah. next for to each other. No, for me, for, for us. You? Uh, okay. I've got Parkinson's, and so, oh, okay. so I move around a lot. And, and, yeah, yeah, so and he, she wakes me up all the time. And, oh, yeah, not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Not so, anymore. <laughs> it used to be that way. Yeah. Uh, so we're so I'm looking for more of a firm bed, and, yeah, yeah. It, and it, if you've got the beds that can tilt up or down, that yeah. I don't know if you have so, those. Yeah, you can go firm, coil once. How do you get up? Do you need to, the, the, the edge to brace yourself? You yeah. need yeah, strong, yeah, strong edge. Yeah. Strong edge. So this one is a coil. Is that what that coil, is? Yeah. So yeah. this one. Do you want to sit uh, on it? And, uh, okay. Put your feet up. Here, you I'll take my. Don't mind the shoes. Leave the shoes. Oh no, I take the shoes off. Okay, so the backs come up. Oh my god, that's 
Oh, you, Henry would love this. Men advantage is to get off the back yeah. without help. Right. See, because that thing lifts you up in the back, or yeah. you need to swing your feet to the side. Oh, ah, yeah, see that? Yeah, oh, that's really nice. Cool. That would be really nice. Oh, you want to enjoy it with me? Okay, what are you what are you doing there, bud? I'm laying on you. You're laying on me? I'm what do you think of this, this bed? I think it's awesome. And then they're going to put a motor on it so I can lift the legs and the head. Do you like that? Yeah! I got to get up, bud. Let me get up. Don't move me. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. What would you guys think? Awesome. Yeah. I know. We found the nicest salesperson ever. Yeah. And he seemed to be sensitive to your issues. Has dealt with people with similar issues in the past, getting in and out of bed. And I think we got really lucky with somebody who was willing to kind of take the time and think about our needs. Right. Very specific needs. And he didn't flinch. Nope. Not at all. It was great. So it was great. What did you think of John? Awesome. He's the best <laughs> person I ever know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. High endorsement. So you're seriously considering this idea of separate beds? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, well, for her safety, like I, I fear for that. But also, when we were in Japan, we we it was Henry, Rebecca, and I. So we got a room for three. And so when you get a hotel room for three, you think like two double beds or something. We walk in and there's three single beds. And we're like, well, this is awkward. Oh. Uh, but then it was like the best sleep I ever had because people were like, if she moves, I don't wake up because she's in her own bed. You know what, though? I don't think that there's a single person out there who has traveled with their spouse who can't relate to that. When you walk into the hotel room and you see there's two beds, and at first you go, what? We're not going to be able to sleep together in the same bed? But then you try it, and you wake up the next morning thinking, maybe we need separate beds because I slept really well last night. <laughs> so it, this just seems like the logical next step. Well, not to get too personal, though, but won't single beds on a regular basis, not just when you're at the hotel, interfere with intimacy? Mm, it certainly could, uh, but it doesn't have to. Uh, and to be sure that it doesn't, Rebecca and I actually met with nurse and sexual health educator Maureen McGrath. The incredible news is that you're staying in the same room. It's the geographical divide. So when you move into another room, that can actually make intimacy more challenging for a couple. Um, you know, sleep is critical uh, for mood, for weight, for health, for productivity, for kindness, for, you know, headaches. Uh, it, it's just so critical that people get the sleep that they need. And that's the priority. You know, a lot of people might put sex before sleep as a priority, kind of food, sex, and sleep. They're all, you know, um, needs and desires. And, um, but sleep is critical. And so I think it's actually very healthy of you to put that as a priority. And I think it's worth the investment. Uh, how do we create a space or what, what should we do in our bedroom to, to make sure that the intimacy remains there even though we're physically separated? Absolutely. Well, number one, be able to push the beds together for those times when you do connect on a more intimate level. And so that can be a mattress pad that covers, a king-size mattress pad mm -hmm. that covers the two twin beds. Mm -hmm. Make sure you don't have a television set in your room or an iPad. Don't bring your phones to bed. Um, make sure that your room is dedicated for sleeping and or for sex. We're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what you want to do. <laughs> 
We can do that. Yeah. Well, and then, like, uh, we have aromatherapy in there. That's good. Uh, we Make do. Make your room an oasis. Yeah. Make it like a hotel room. Buy the most beautiful sheets you can, the highest per kale count possible. Have a duvet that's down-filled if you're not allergic, a beautiful duvet cover. Have nice, soft colors in the room, comforting that will help you to relax and to sleep as well. Have beautiful lighting in your bedroom as well. And do not bring into your bedroom uh, computers or iPads or iPhones. Leave those downstairs in a basket. Make sure your bedroom doesn't have a television set in it. Dedicate this oasis to sleep and sex, and that's it. Wow. Can you do that? Sounds very healthy. I think I could do it easier than you can. (laughs) Okay, so do you recommend other people then have this type of very personal conversation with a nurse or with a sex therapist like Maureen? Oh, yeah, uh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think it really helped Rebecca and I share our feelings with each other, and it's prompted more discussions afterwards. Uh, we, we talked to Maureen for like an hour or more, and, and we both have agreed that we think it's a really important discussion, so much so that we want to share it to help encourage others to have open communications over intimacy. Oh, okay. So we're going to listen to more of this session. Are, are you sure you want to share that intimate detail? Sure, sure, absolutely. Here's Maureen. I may ask you some questions about your sexual health history or um, medical questions. Um, you know, you don't have to answer any of the questions that I ask. If at any time it gets uncomfortable, by all means, we can stop the interview. So you have seen other couples where one or both of the the cu- one or both half of the couple is dealing with some sort of disease that does affect their. I would say Sexual probably health. about 70%, okay. um, may, <laughs> wow. maybe 80%, uh, where one couple has a medical condition or a number of medical conditions mm-hmm. that impacts the intimacy in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, and that leads to maybe dis- desired discrepancy or less frequency or, um, you know, a, a less than exciting sex life than what they had were used to or what had hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, or they want to learn some strategies on how to improve the intimacy the excitement uh, in the bedroom or wherever because foreplay starts in the kitchen, quite frankly. Right. So, <laughs> so, exactly. so let me ask you this. How do you define intimacy? Intimacy is that connection, that ability to be vulnerable with that person that you are in a partnership with, that somebody that you love and care about. And, and you know, we often hear into me you see. It's that ability to be completely open, completely vulnerable, trusting, comfortable with that person, whether that be around your fears, your fantasies, your ideas, your thoughts, your beliefs, um, the caring. And so there's just so much that, um, you know, is intimate outside of the bedroom. We think of intimacy as only the physical act, and that's really um, an act that actually maybe underscores the love that people have for Mm -hmm. one another. Well, and I think that's something that Larry and I have talked about recently, because as far as general intimacy is concerned, we don't have a problem with that. We Our intimacy, I would say, even in some ways, has increased since he's been dealing with Parkinson's. Um, it's a, it, And that has always been a strong part of our relationship. And frankly, the sexual component of the intimacy has never been the most important part of our intimate relationship. That said, it's changing now because his body is changing and our relationship and our roles in our marriage are changing quite a bit. So I think we are viewing the sexual component of the intimacy differently. 
we're as a couple we're viewing it differently, and then we're discovering that Larry and I are, are also seeing them a little differently as time goes by. And so there's the communication on it has kind of diverged when it used to be really easy. Right, exactly, because your roles have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you've gone from husband and wife. And, you know, at the beginning of husband and wife, we hear for better or worse, but we only think about the better. <laughs> you never think about the worse. And uh, and then it strikes most couples, you know, not, nothing is perfect for everybody and nobody is left unscathed in life. And, and also, you know, what was the relationship like prior to the medical condition, the onset of the medical condition? And so if it wasn't so great for, for couples mm-hmm. before that, you know, one can't expect it. But, but also you said something, um, and it's human nature. When we, when we can have whatever we want, ice cream every day, and then it's taken <laughs> away, we kind of appreciate it a whole lot more. <laughs> so you're like, wait a minute, I don't want this to end. Um, and right. so, it's, uh, so that desire will wax and wane. And, and also you're, you know, you're, you're young, you know, do you want to give up uh, the sex aspect of your mm. relationship? And no. also, okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither and, of us do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the men are a little bit more vocal on this. More adamant, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do I need to wear a sign? Exactly. <laughs> but desire discrepancy is common in in healthy couples and in couples who where one is facing uh, a medical condition. So, um, so so much. And then you know, as you said, Rebecca, the intimacy. You've never had a problem with intimacy, mm-hmm. and so you know, I would ask or I probe a little bit further. So what is intimacy to you? It Vulnerability. I loved when you used that word. It's being able to trust another person completely so that you can say anything in their presence and know that it will be received and that you'll be loved and supported in return. Um, that you can talk about things and in our case everything I don't think there's anything that's off the table that we that we say we cannot talk about um, and and again the the sexual component of that has just always been just one of many things that has been part of our intimate relationship I think we have really I know we have really strong trust and we always have um, we have strong communication well, although it's starting we're, well <laughs> it's it's we are challenged more than we ever have been in our in our marriage with communication, for sure. Um, I'm having trouble um, interpreting nuance, and um, and I, I can't read facial expressions the way I used to. Right, and so there may be some facial expressions that are you may perceive as frustration, and, and that may be real or that may not be real right. either. And mm-hmm. so, Rebecca, you're probably feeling a little bit more tired um, yes. these days as well, being the caregiver or part-time caregiver, if yes. you will. And and Larry, that goes along with the medical condition, Parkinson's disease, fatigue. Sure. Oh yeah, I'm exhausted. Yes, and you're, I know you're. You've talked in the past about losing out on sleep and having real difficulty sleeping and that can lead to mood issues and, and depression. And, and then you can feel vulnerable in a different kind of way, thinking, oh, you know, this is, I'm a burden, or this, uh, the breakdown of our communication is, is my fault or my problem, and I'm trying my best, and I, you know, I'm confused. And, you know, you need to try and push through your discomfort to get to the other side of it. And so communication is so important. How do you push through discomfort? You know, it's... Maybe for some couples, I suggest setting a time, a day and a time for we're going to have, this is our frustration half an hour. 
So these are the times that we talk to one another about what is bothering us today. Mm-hmm. It is a harm-free zone. There's no malice of forethought here. This is to help our relationship. This is so the two of us can be together, to be on the, the best path, and to try to understand one another and get to know each other on an even deeper level that you may not have ever thought was possible, but certainly it is because challenges challenges in life actually bring us closer together. You gave a look, Rebecca. I, I really like that idea, actually, because I think one of the miscommunications that we're having in kind of a breakdown is that there are much more frequent challenges in both of our lives these days, and neither of us likes to talk about them all the time. So so it feels so it feels like then okay, well, what's on my mind right now? What am I kind of over here stewing about? Is it really worth me bringing that back in when you know, when I know you're also having a really bad day or you're really dyskinetic today or your feet are having a lot of pain today or something? Do I really want to bring that into the situation and and m- most of the time I decide no. Mm-hmm. So and, then and why therefore, do you decide not, no? Because I don't want to make things worse. I don't know. I, I guess I'm weighing how important it is for me to express that at that moment versus w- what's valuable for you to know. So is it is it worth me expressing it? Or is it okay for me to just kind of let that go and deal with it on my own? But the backup that happens then is that I forget to talk about it or there's something, you know, and then four things down the line that I feel frustrated or angry or irritated by, then I then that goes unexpressed and then either it becomes like a, a blow up or I get so irritated that I just can't talk about it or something breaks down. Some sort of communication breaks down breakdown happens. So that's why I had that reaction to the half hour a day. When we have that, is that a time for problem solving or listening? You know, it's a it's a time for listening, and it's a time for expressing your needs, I think, above all else. And you said something really important. You almost had a fear to express your needs because you don't want to burden Larry with that, and he mm-hmm. probably feels the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, you can never take care of anyone else until you take care of yourself first, and that means your needs and your desires as well. Mm-hmm. I, I liken it to um, when they educate you on a plane, and they say, if you're traveling with a small child, put the oxygen mask mm-hmm. on yourself first and then your child because you really need to take care of yourself first. And so you you said it as well, Rebecca, that uh, if you don't express your need, then they build up, build up, and then that will get to an explosion. Whereas this way, it's it's kind of every day or every other day. It's whatever works for everybody. It's every other day. It's our tea time. We sit down and, you know, here's how I'm feeling today, Rebecca. I've got, I'm in a lot of pain. I've been dyskinetic today. I didn't get any sleep last night. That might be why I'm moody. And so it's a real mindfulness conversation. And so it's it's sharing, it's back and forth, and listening is a huge component. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're really not holding anything back in this podcast, Larry. What does it feel like to to share the most intimate parts of your relationship here? You feel very vulnerable and exposed, but uh, yeah. having you know that same feeling when I told people about Parkinson's. These are conversations that should be had. Uh, and I think people, it's easy to avoid them. It's easy not to talk about it. I mean, Rebecca and I, you know, we've we've gone through spells where we think we're communicating, but we're not really saying everything we feel. And so I, I think it's really important to dig deep. 
Yeah, and to have those regular conversations. Right. Yeah. And Marie notes there's rules to having those regular conversations. So mm. there, a time limit should be set, like 30 minutes. Remain calm. Don't be judgmental. Uh, one person talks at a time. The other has to listen. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not just big. prepare what you're going to say in response, but you got to listen to what the other person says. Hear them. Uh, and you can divvy up the first 15 minutes as yours and the second 15 minutes as theirs. Or you can do five and five and then five and five and go back and forth. Uh, and don't forget to, you know, there are other types of intimacy. Ooh, can you elaborate? I could, but let's <laughs> let Maureen. The touching, the holding, the kissing, the cuddling. And that needs to be done in equal time to the 30-minute uh, conversation time or tea time. So, you know, making sure that you're connecting physically each day um, and bothering or saying thank you, showing kindness, appreciation, gratitude, looking at the brighter side mm-hmm. and just being mindful about um, what is going well. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to congratulate the two of you on this journey that you've been on. I mean, this podcast how many people you're helping, how you've shared your most intimate feelings with the world. I mean, that is something to be applauded and celebrated. And so it's those kinds of things that we forget to pat ourselves on the back and also pat our partners on the back Mm -hmm. as well. Let's piggyback off of what she was talking about, because that's a really good segue into the next level of things where where Larry and I have noticed that um, our relationship in general has become less physical. And there's lots of affection and genuine affection and expressions of affection and gratitude and love, um, but less touching. And I think I, what I observe is that it's both ways. I think you think it's more more me Why being do you think afraid. That? I believe you said that. Maybe but, I did. Yeah. Um, but maybe I, not. Well, it doesn't I, surprise I feel, me. I, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I feel as if um, I miss it more than you. That, that's probably true. And here, but I think this is what's going on with me it, is that I, your body is changing. It, it is most of the time uncomfortable in some way for you to be in your body. So I am just kind of backing off and giving you space to heal and do your thing. What I've forgotten and what we've recently started talking about and trying to get back into is that the the nurturing and the and the affection and the physical touch is actually part of your well-being and quality and of life and healing process. And so I had been kind of neglecting that in a way and I think to some extent if I'm going to be honest I was afraid to touch you too much because he, there are parts of his body that are in pain or shaking or or and I'm not 100% sure what's going on and how I'm going to affect that. So rather than me taking the risk this is uncharacteristic of a relationship, but rather than me taking the risk of touching and saying, is that okay, I just kind of backed off. See, and, and all along I was thinking I'm becoming less attractive and less desirable because I'm sick. That story you were telling yourself yeah. was, <laughs> right, which is not true when we've talked about that since then because he was courageous enough to express that to me. And that's not true. It's just that you're, I'm trying to figure out how to address your body 
because it's changing. This is new for you, Parkinson's disease, and, and it's different for every patient, and, and the journey is so different, and so it sounds like you have a fear and a need as well. You know, you have a, a need to be close. You have sexual desire, but you may have a little bit of fear around it. How do you express that now in this new role in which you're in um, that as a caregiver, which kind of there's gray lines between the caregiver and the wife, and, mm-hmm. and also adding that role to your um, wife, to being a wife, also increases the fatigue for you. And fatigue mm-hmm. is the number one reason for low sexual desire in women. And for men, when men are stressed, and Larry, I imagine you've got to have some stress. That's yeah, <laughs> how we manage it. But <laughs> with the, the, the big job that you have, as well as Parkinson's disease, you know, for men, typically men, and not all men, because some men suffer low sexual desire as well, but men... Uh, welcome sex with stress, whereas women mm. don't welcome it as much. Uh, when, when they're stressed, the, you know, they don't want sex as much. Mm. So we were talking about how um, we had, you know, have, have had less intimacy. Uh, we've had less sex. Um, we, and we were afraid to talk about it. Like, I think we were both avoiding the topic mm-hmm. uh, until uh, very recently. And we... we I was trying to woo her, and she she was afraid. And uh, <laughs> but it had been a year since we'd had sex, and mm-hmm. we hadn't yeah. talked about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed until until we went ha- like we both kind of started to do the calendar in our head. Went, oh my gosh, because it was we had gone away about a year ago, and that was was and part of it. And to be honest, and part of it also is that we have a ten year old child who doesn't have very good boundaries about rooms and mm-hmm. you know and so kind of a late sleeper and right and so that's part of it it's not the only reason we, no. could, we certainly could figure out a way but what was really interesting was when we this first time in a year it was it I, and I, I said afterwards I was like you know it's like it was the next day after the time we'd done it before because it was familiar and comfortable and intimate mm-hmm. and felt nice and everything worked and we just kind of knew what to do and it didn't and there there are some adaptations physically because of Larry's changing body and ability to you know balance and do different <laughs> things whoa so we have to <laughs> <laughs> But it certainly, you know, it did feel with these adaptations, it still felt very familiar. Everything seemed to just work just fine. So that was a reminder to us of just get back on the horse. Well, I'm glad you took care of that because um, the definition of a sexless marriage, generally speaking, is sex less than 10 times a year. So you were in a sexless marriage. You might theoretically still be in one having only had it once recently yeah. yeah and and you know what whether you have a medical condition or not desire discrepancy is common in every couple because nobody's going to feel like having sex at exactly the same time all the time but it just falls off the bed if you will and sometimes mm-hmm. people don't even know why they stopped having sex you may know why you stopped having sex so that's half the battle mm-hmm. but you're absolutely correct it's like you know I take a page out of Nike's book just do it right you know and uh <laughs> And so that's really helpful, as you described, Rebecca. It's, right. It was so much more helpful. And then sex begets sex. It's like, hey, why didn't I do that in March? You know? <laughs> yes. I, I certainly feel more comfortable doing it again now, you know, making sure that Henry is 
falls asleep yeah. and far away and all of that. But, but yeah, absolutely. It it just felt it was such a great reminder of oh, this is what I get out of that. Right, and you know, this is how beautiful that is, and how much that is, how much that can enrich our relationship. And though we have a great relationship outside of it, that brought a different level a, to it's it. It's a cool connection. Yes, oh, absolutely. And it may have been one of your fears and your needs as well that might have been taken care of in that thirty minute conversation about mm-hmm. how, how you that mm-hmm. check-in how you doing today yeah um, you may have avoided some of that and how important is a active sex life it's very important but you know we define sex in so many different ways it's not we think of sex as penetrative sex you know penis and vagina sex and that's not the only type of sex that there is and you know there's a lot of couples out there that do not even want to engage in sex with their partners so sex is defined as how you like to define it but you know it begins with as I said earlier it begins in the kitchen you know it begins with helping out if, if you can it begins with a, a text message or a sext message or a note in the lunch bag or a kind word about somebody's blouse or their hair or um, thanking them for taking the trash out or, you know, so really that foreplay uh, leading up to um, a more intimate times in the bedroom or wherever else. But sex involves BDSM. There's role playing. There's so many different aspects of sex and it's really defined by the couple themselves. Okay. So we're really getting personal now with some of this information. Uh, yeah, how's that make you feel? I'm okay hearing about it. I mean, I think it's nice that you're sharing it in the sense that this is something that every person in their lives has to deal with in one form or the other, and that is the intimacy in their relationship. And for someone with Parkinson's, obviously, there's additional layers added to that. So I think it's really nice that you're so open and willing to talk about this. I think, you know, if if you're listening and you have Parkinson's, it's probably really refreshing to hear someone get so intimate and talk about the real problems in their lives. Well, and not only that, but this is happening to people that don't have Parkinson's too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I think most marriages go through oh, the ebbs and sure. flows of, you know, intimacy. And so, you know, hopefully this it sparks conversations even in the households of people without Parkinson's. Absolutely. I think you're right. I'm single and I'm going through ebbs and flows of intimacy. <laughs> mostly, mostly the ebbs, but... <laughs> Uh, and, and the other part of this is, you know, we're still young and I'm still, you know, early on in my disease progression. But, you know, as Parkinson's progresses uh, and the more advanced you are, the more challenging sex can be. For couples who have difficulty, especially physical limitations that are affecting their sex life, I say, number one, in praise of slow sex. And, you know, more couples should take the time to slow down and enjoy the moment. And and so setting aside the appropriate amount of time, knowing that it, things may take a little longer or they may go a little faster. Um, and so just understanding that and realizing that, you know, putting your son to bed is going to be important and maybe setting some limits uh, for him as well. This is mommy and daddy time. And and also taking that time, but also there are some devices and some pillows and some um, forms that you can purchase online as well that will help to uh, position you or help to get you in a better position or help to rest. Maybe your legs need to rest on particular, so they're um, designed for people with uh, disabilities in the bedroom. And um, there's also swings that you can buy as well for comfort. Um, but there's a lot of different options that 
people can use. If there's pain medication that people take, you might want to take that a half an hour prior to or medication for your Parkinson's disease. Make sure you take that prior to so that you're optimized, if you will. Mm -hmm. So you're um, on and not off. For exactly. (laughs) Optimized for sex. And so get yourself in. So don't be hungry. Don't be don't have any of those life stressors. You know, if you missed breakfast and lunch that day, you know, four o'clock that afternoon is probably not going to be the best time to connect because it might increase your frustration. But but there's lots of support devices that can help in the bedroom. Actually address the needs is what I'm hearing. So not just go, oh, well, that's going to be too hard. We don't have time. We're not that interested anyway. So why bother? Instead, make it a priority to, okay, well, what do we physically, practically need? Absolutely. And scheduling sex is important. And, you know, we have this idea that sex is supposed to be spontaneous. It never was. <laughs> Even in the dating game, in the dating era, it was never spontaneous because you're thinking, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to see him on Friday night. Oh, what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? We're going to end up in bed. This, that, mm-hmm. you know, Friday night is going to be for this. And so now people get married and then they think, where did the spontaneous sex go? Well, you never really had it in the first place. Right. <laughs> and so, so it's a good idea to schedule the amount of sex that you need. Get everything that you need. Order it ahead. You know, what are some of the issues that you're having in the relationship physically? Write them down. Okay, where can I get some advice, um, you know, from an occupational therapist perhaps on the best device that will help to make this as comfortable as possible so I can enjoy it as much as possible? Well, and as you said earlier, it's not all about intercourse either. There's other ways to have sex. Yeah, same sex couples will tell you that yeah. too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There are so many different ways to enjoy each other and each other's bodies and and in the new body and and you know it's sex makes you feel so great as you mentioned a little bit earlier Rebecca Um, you know it helps with stress and it promotes sleep and you know it reduces pain and it helps with mood there are so many benefits to sex Mm -hmm. that um, you know it's too too many to name here but you know it's worthwhile and keeping your sex life what however you define it alive Mm-hmm. and paying attention to it. We pay attention to our bills and we get stressed by those, but we don't pay too much attention to our sex lives and mm-hmm. we get stressed by that. So are you concerned that going into the future as the disease progresses that you may have to continue doing more and more of these types of therapy sessions? Uh, well, I, I don't fear any, any kind of therapy. I love therapy. It's, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you know, you know, just put me on a couch and let me kick back. I, I, mean, I love talking about myself. What are you talking about? Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> this is therapy. What, right? You're my therapist. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, no, I, this, this is all part of the process, you know, uh, whether it's about Parkinson's or relationships, letting people know how you feel and where you stand and how, how you need them to support you, I think is really important. So true. And chatting with your partner about that is so fundamental. And I'm guessing that you and Rebecca have had a few more conversations about this since you met with Maureen. For sure. This is an ongoing conversation. I mean, you have to assimilate all this information. You've got to build new habits and then be sure not to fall back on those old roles. So let's go back to Larry and Rebecca's bedroom, which is where they regularly record the conversations they have at the end of each episode. We talked about how we were going to get rid of the screens and we weren't going to bring our phones to bed. And I said, that's going to be hard for us. And you said, well, uh, it'll be easier for me than you. How how are you doing with that? <laughs> You're calling me on it. <laughs> no, I think I do. I think I do really well with giving us time and space. 
I don't want to focus on the screen so much. It's more about are we taking the time to mindfully and presently communicate whatever's going on? Yes. And we have we have been better about that in recent weeks and since our conversation with Maureen. And I would say we've been more affectionate, maybe more mindful to, you know, at least, you know, hug and kiss, you know, more uh, intentionally every day. Yes. I guess I forget because it was such a natural part of our marriage before that we didn't we didn't have to think about it. And I, I guess in retrospect, I'm not surprised that it's taking us more mindfulness and more effort because everything I do now is more effortful. Mm. So why would this be different? Right. If I don't put intention to things that they don't happen, like walking. <laughs> right. So, you know, kissing my wife also takes mindfulness and effort and, 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 and attention. Right. Where before it was just sort of part of our everyday. It was effortless. Yeah. Thanks, Parkinson's. Yeah. <laughs> but every, you know, every marriage at some point needs to be reminded of what they mean to the relationship and that they're not something that, oh, we can just kind of let that go. I suppose I wasn't aware of how that might affect our relationship and it it did mm. begin to. And now that we're connecting on that in that way more regularly, that has increased our comfort level with each other's bodies, increased our comfort level with affection and and I'm less afraid of touching you. I think we're just more in tune because yes. we are communicating more. It seemed very difficult for me to imagine the idea of us growing apart. Yeah. And I don't believe we have grown apart, but it could have gone that way if we'd let it go mm-hmm. too long. Because by then it would have been, well, now it's really uncomfortable to try to approach that topic. And right. right, I can see how marriages get there. You hit a bump in the road, some sort of really big practical challenge or emotional challenge or grief or something that a couple is dealing with. And then you're just kind of dealing with it. And in that place, in that survival place of dealing with it, and then time goes by and you haven't nurtured your relationship and you've grown apart and you didn't even realize it was happening. Well, the other day we had a very honest conversation and um, you were having a hard time with my inability, my, my inattention to, to your life compared to my life with Parkinson's. You referred to Parkinson's as the elephant in our relationship. I feel like I'm seeing the elephant for what it is better. It's still an elephant. <laughs> I can um, acknowledge and work around the elephant in the room. I don't know that that'll be true tomorrow, but that's how I'm feeling about it today. Just acknowledging the elephant and seeing exactly, or at least more clearly, how it's affecting our relationship and me and you. And every day that becomes more clear as we hit new challenges, as this comes up, as that comes up, it's always changing. And so there's always a new lesson. Yeah, I mean, one of the frustrations you brought up is by the time I get home from work, so I've been giving you know, my energy to work, and I give my energy to the podcast, and I give my energy to the Parkinson stuff and my own health, and then I come home, and I'm just I'm out of energy, and I've yeah. not left any for the family. I feel like everything else is getting the best Larry, the high-energy Larry, the Larry that's on and present, 
And then when you come home, you should relax in your house. At the same time, that's frustrating because we want you to do stuff and be with us too, the way that, that you are doing these other activities. I understand why you don't have energy for all of it. That doesn't make it any less frustrating. Mm-hmm. And Henry feels that too. Yeah. So I don't know that there's a solution to that at this point other than let's be mindful of it and see how things evolve. This pace that you are at right now, I know you can't keep that up forever. I agree. So we have to be mindful Mm -hmm. of that and be mindful of how it's affecting our relationship, our family, your relationship with Henry. Yeah, and we're doing one of the things that people say you need to do, which is we're getting away so we're leaving Henry at home with my sister, and we're going to New York City on Monday, and we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary. Yay. Happy well, anniversary, honey. Happy anniversary. What people may not know is that we basically dated in New York City. Yeah, well, you were living there. It was long-distance relationship for for up until a month before we got married. Yeah. <laughs> now we're good. we get to go back on our 20th anniversary, and that's very meaningful to me. Yeah. And it'll be romantic and sweet and revisiting our old haunts and my old neighborhood where we had our first kiss. And we can reconnect. And, you know, I think by retracing some of those steps, it will reignite our the romance and the passion. And It already is. Because of that conversation, because we acknowledged, and because it's more just a part of our relationship again, the romance and the sex and all of that, I just feel like we're on an upswing. It's begun. Yeah. I love you. I love you. In this episode, we discussed how having Parkinson's doesn't mean you have to give up intimacy or sex with your partner, but it can mean having somewhat difficult conversations, not just with your partner. This topic also seems to be a tough one for neurologists to tackle too. Gila Bronner is the founder and was director of the sex therapy service at Sheba Medical Center in Israel for 15 years. She's also a sex therapist at the Movement Disorders Institute of this hospital. She says, despite the fact that three-fourths of all Parkinson's patients have sexual difficulty of some kind, it's still not discussed as openly as it should be. Well, neurologists as well as nurses, as well as other health professionals are not taught about it. Even today, when sex is spoken so much around on the internet, on TV, on TV shows, in films, they don't teach them. Now, what do they don't teach them? First, the association between various aspects of a disease and sexuality. For example, in Parkinson, we have a lot of non-motor symptoms, we have motor symptoms, and we have medications, and we have other treatments. Nobody talks about it. Then you have to teach the neurologist how to open a discussion with your patient in a way, in a way that you feel good, as a neurologist, and that the patient or the partner feel good. Nobody gives them instruction. And if they do, you know, physicians have a lot of training in hospitals and they have 
um, seniors who teach them all the time and they analyze cases in order to learn more. But nobody asks, did you ask the person about his sexual life? How did you ask? What was the answer? What would you answer later? What can you check? Can you refer this patient maybe to a urologist, maybe to a gynecologist, maybe to a couple therapist, maybe to a sex therapist? Nobody talks about it. There are some helpful tips for navigating difficult conversations with your neurologist. Number one, email your doctor ahead of the appointment about sensitive issues that you want to address. Number two, Make notes on the topics you'd like to discuss and bring two copies, one for you and one for your neurologist. Do this at the beginning of the appointment to stress that there are issues that you want to address. Number three, don't be afraid to ask questions if you don't fully understand what your doctor is saying. Number four, bring up concerns even if your doctor doesn't ask about them. And number five, remember, when you're at an appointment, it's Vegas rules. Your doctor's office is a safe space. What's talked about there stays there. Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Do you remember the first time you met Joy? I do. I do. I remember. What was that like? I remember the first time very clearly. I'm Joy Milne. Um, my husband, when he was 45, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. But I, in actual fact, smelt a change in his odor 12 years before that. I was giving a talk, and at the end of my talk, I, you know, I entertained questions. I was very, very nervous about doing this. This is when Joy... And I stood up, and I said, well... Asked me about Parkinson's and the odor of Parkinson's. and Why are we not using the fairly strong smell of Parkinson's to diagnose it earlier. Yeah, I was just flabbergasted and confused. Total silence in the room. I didn't really understand what she was talking about, but I I definitely remembered it because it was very unusual. People with Parkinson's have a definite smell. You know, the very first experiment was uh, with uh, 12 people, but we cut all the t-shirts in half, so she had to go through 24 samples. She got 11 out of the 12 people correct. People that didn't have Parkinson's, she said didn't. People that had Parkinson's, she said did. And then um, the one mistake that she made was was a was a healthy control. This particular individual, um, months later, had come to me and said, "Tilo, um, you're going to need to put me in the Parkinson's group because I've just been diagnosed." This is when life gives you Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting sponsor is Parkinson Canada. Parkinson.ca. Thank you to our special guests today, Dina Grinnell, Guy LeBronner, Maureen McGrath. And you can check out the show notes to links to Maureen's TEDx talk and her radio show and a lot more. Also, special thanks to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the U.S., Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Go to michaeljfox.org slash pdiq. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give the show a rating and please leave a comment about why you enjoy listening to the podcast. Check us out on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. And we'd also love to add your voice to the pod. We invite you to record your message at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.